Thank you, David. It is so great to be here with you at First Church. It's so great to get acquainted with old friends and some new ones, and it's been an exciting day. We were down memory lane this morning with the Boomer Life group and had a lot of fun as well. And uh, I bring you greetings from all of our kids who grew up here. They call this place home. You know, our girls were married here. Um, they all you know, graduated from high school here, grew up here among the family of First Church, and uh, they call this place home, but so do Renee and I, because uh, that's, that's the love we have for this this wonderful town and this great church here at First Church. So thank you, Pastor David, for graciously inviting me to speak tonight in your, in your, in, in your service. And I also want to say that uh, it's a wonderful vision that this church has to reach out and continue reaching out in the community. And I couldn't be more excited than that wildly important goal that you just talked about a little while ago. Now, Pastor David called me a little while, a, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and talking about this, this uh, message coming up, and he said, you know, we're in a series of messages, and we're talking about the hang-ups and reasons why sometimes people are turned off from the church. And uh, he said, the one, the one thing, he gave me a list of, of different messages from which I could choose, and he said, um, here's one about hypocrisy, and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about hypocrisy. Then after we hung up, I, I wondered to myself, I wonder if he baited me into that, thinking, you know, Bob, you're the, re- you're the resident expert on hypocrisy, so maybe you should speak on that topic. Just kidding, just kidding. But uh, I'm very glad to, to talk to you about one of the hang-ups that people have, and that they think of uh, the church as a place full of hypocrites, and it, it keeps them from, from following the Lord. Now, what is hypocrisy other than a person trying to behave in a way to cause you to believe something about them that's not really true. For example, there was a guy who was suing a bus company because he said he, his arm was permanently injured by some time when the bus lurched and he fell. And so he's in the courtroom. And the attorney asked him, Now, sir, tell me, how high can you raise your arm since this bus and he kind of raised his arm like this, you know, and uh, this was the attorney defending the bus company. And he, he raised his arm, he said, I can, I can raise my arm about this high. And he kind of grimaced, and uh, then the attorney said, and how far could you raise your arm before the accident? He said, oh, like this. <laughs> and uh, that's a little bit of a good working illustration of what hypocrisy is. I want to take you to a text tonight. If you have your Bible with you, would you open to Romans chapter 12? I want to read a couple of verses and just keep your Bible open. We're going to look at this uh, in, in Romans chapter 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and, ins- and serve the Lord enthusiastically. So this text is saying to us, love each other with genuine, authentic affection. And therein is the root of why people sometimes call Christians hypocrites is when we forget to love well. You see, 
Everyone knows that everybody in this world has faults and quirks and problems and hang-ups. But you never hear anybody calling a Christian a hypocrite if the Christian makes it his or her business to really love well with authentic love and grace and care for others. They're not called hypocrites. They're called fellow pilgrims, fellow journeyers on this life, trying to do their best to be the person that God has called them to be. In fact, if you know the history of the Secret Service in the United States, it was uh, founded in July of 1865, just a few months after President Lincoln was assassinated. And you might think that the Secret Service was formed on the heels of the assassination of President Lincoln for the purpose of protecting the president, but that's not really what happened. They didn't really get into the business of protecting the presidents until after the 1901 assassination of William McKinley. Then what was the Secret Service for? They were all about ferreting out the counterfeit money that was flooding across the American landscape in the wake of the Civil War. And so how did they go about their business? It was not by studying counterfeit money. It was by studying the authentic money. There's a pastor up in Canada. He's always heard that, and so he decided to test that, and he was able to go to the Bank of Canada. And they actually took him into a very secure place, and they wondered why he wanted to know so much about counterfeit money, of course. And finally, after um, he convinced them, they put him through some training so that he could recognize the difference between the counterfeit and the authentic. You see, what they did is they showed him and gave him all of the attributes of the authentic Canadian currency. And then they gave him a stack of currency, and he, with 100% accuracy, was able to identify each one of the counterfeits. The same would be true in our culture at large, is that it's easy when we recognize authentic Christians to know that there are some counterfeits. And sometimes the people in the, in the world around us, they, they come into a church service and they make a very wrong assumption. They think that they are the only one who walked into the room who is struggling or has some hang-ups or has some doubts or some fears or even some temptations or troubles or trials or sin that they're dealing with, when in fact... If the church is a healthy church, it's full of people who are seeking remedies to the spiritual problems that they face. In fact, I heard about a priest by the name of Father Jeremiah, and he was asked by a person, he lived in a monastery, he said, now Father, can you tell us about Christians? And he said, oh, he says, I I am not an authentic Christian, but I have seen some but I have seen some. And what I want to help you to understand is what authenticity looks like because hypocrisy has a lot to do with love. And so tonight, there's really just two dimensions, two sides to the coin that we want to talk about. We want to talk about love extended and love offended. Love extended is love that is extended freely to others, and love offended, I'm going to talk with you about what happens when we are offended, when 
when the love in our heart is rebuffed or when we are persecuted or when trouble comes to us, both are here in this text. So we're looking at Romans chapter 12. I read the first couple of verses, but let's look at it again. Verses 9 and 10 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, loving sincerely, without hypocrisy. You know, someone has said that this this first phrase, love must be sincere, did you know that the actual phrase really means without wax? It is said that of the, of the old statuaries, that whenever there was flaws in the chiseling that, uh, or, or cracks in the, in the statues, that they would fill it with wax to make it look polished and pure. And it would hold up as long as it stayed in a relatively cool climate, which if you've ever been in a cathedral, you know it's pretty cool in there. And so, love must be sincere. It's not artificial. It's not filling in all the cracks with wax. It's the real thing. You hate what is evil and you cling to what is good and be devoted to one another. We serve the Lord enthusiastically, verse 11 says, and we work hard to conquer the trials that come our way. And so, we find that We're called in this text to meet the needs of others unselfishly. All of these are the wonderful descriptors of a life that is genuine and true. Act loving even when you're not feeling it. Now, that's really important. Act loving. Let's go back to the word hypocrite for just a second. The word hypocrite actually comes out of the Greek language and it's in reference to actors. It's in reference to those who are actors in the Greek theater. They're called hypocrites. And when Jesus was calling Pharisees and other people hypocrites, he may have actually said it with a smile on his face saying, you know, you guys are just acting. You're just acting like you're the authentic followers of God. You know, every one of us has to be honest to say that in in our church life, there are times when Maybe we come and we're not quite feeling like it and we're acting a little bit. As a matter of fact, I keep right here in my Bible, this is my handy little uh, pastor's acting help for Sundays when I don't feel like coming. (laughs) How does it work? Not bad, right? And some people say, I don't see any difference. Uh, No, every one of us, uh, if it's right here handy in the Bible, every one of us recognizes that at times we might act more glad than we are. But here's the point. What we're really called to do is to act like Christ. So that when someone says the church is full of hypocrites, rather than being defensive and trying to say, oh no, it's not, we should say something like, well, yeah, it probably is, but we still have room for another. (laughs) Because you see, we're called to act beyond who we are. We're called to act like Christ. This text that we're saying, that we're reading, tells us that we have to act our way into a feeling. We don't feel our way into an action. Does that make sense? We act 
our way into a feeling. We don't feel our way into an action. And so we have to use the as-if principle, believing that if we act as we believe Christ would call us to live, that over a period of time we'll become more and more like Christ, the one whom we are trying to emulate. So you see, sometimes it's just misguided thinking when people say, oh, I can't go to the church because there are too many hypocrites there, when in the truth we say, yes, but you have to understand why these hypocrites are in church is because they don't want to be just actors. They want to be authentic followers of Christ. And step by step along the way, we think we'll all make it to that authenticity. So I've talked a little bit about love extended, but let's talk about love offended. In verses 14 through 16 of the text, listen to what the text says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them? That's what the Scripture says. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge and I'll pay them back, says the Lord. But instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is the word of the Lord. It's saying to us that while we struggle in this life, while we are persecuted, while people believe all manner of lies against us, while we are struggling, here's the call of how we're to live. We're not resentful. We're not bitter. We're not demeaning of others. When someone injures you and you carry resentment, it's you who is suffering while the one who injured you goes free. When you're bitter, I call bitterness the poison people drink to punish those who injured them. doesn't work. You can't drink the poison to punish the one who injured you. So you have to let yourself become free according to the passage of Scripture that says, don't get consumed with the evil that wants to drag you down. Be authentic and know that you can love even when your love has been offended. Now, years past, there's been a question in our public life, and the question that was debated in the airwaves, on television, on the radio talk shows was this. Is it possible for a politician to have his private life or her private life be private and not under the scrutiny of the public. In other words, can a politician 
have the luxury of living one way in public and another way in private. Well, Nathaniel Hawthorne answered that long ago in Scarlet Letter, in which he said that a person who is trying to always live one way privately and another way publicly will in time become confused and forget to which audience he is playing. Now, the same would be true for each of us then. If we're going to be authentic Christ followers, we can't just look like Christ on the outside. That's what Jesus said to the religious leaders. He called them hypocrites. He was saying, you're actors because you on the outside are like whitewashed tombs. It looks pretty clean on the outside, but once you get on the inside, it's awfully gross and smelly in a side of tomb for obvious reasons. And he was saying, that's how your life looks. You can make the people think as, as they see you on the outside, hey, I'm the smiling Christian. Everything is okay with me. But on the inside, there's a lot of sin, a lot of problems, a lot of things that you're struggling with. And Jesus is the answer to that. He is the only perfect one who ever lived. And yet even he was rejected as people began to say, he cannot be authentic. Why were they saying that Jesus wasn't authentic? He went to preach in the synagogue and they began to gossip and they said, you know, it's a little unclear who his father really is. The word had been around for years about Mary becoming pregnant before she was married to Joseph. It's a little unclear, the rumor went, who his father really is. And you see, that's the way that the enemy wants to bring your life down. He wants to bring your life down with accusation. He wants to cause others to believe that that you're just not the authentic deal. It reminds me of a story, and I told this story many years ago when I was the pastor here at First Church, but I want to share it with you again. It's a true story. A seminary professor and his wife were taking a vacation, and they went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And they were sitting in this uh, little restaurant, and it was a busy place, but they found a booth off in the corner, and they were trying to enjoy a quiet vacation-style breakfast. Soon they saw an elderly man, a white-haired man, come in, and he began walking among the tables and greeting people. And the seminary professor thought to himself, I certainly hope he doesn't come over here. But in a while, the man finally made his way to their table, and he said, well, good morning, folks. Where are you from? And they said, we're from Oklahoma. And he said, really? He says, what do you do in Oklahoma? And the man said, well, I I teach at a seminary. Oh, you teach preachers how to preach, do you? Well, have I got a story for you. And he pulled up a chair and sat down at the table, and the seminary professor groaned to himself thinking, that's just what I need is somebody telling me another preacher story. But the man pointed off out the window and he said, you see that little mountain over there in Tennessee here? He said, you know, somewhere near the base of that mountain, a little boy was born to an unwed mother. And as that boy got up into preschool and and early elementary years, people began to ask him this question. Boy, who's your daddy? 
And he was ashamed because he didn't know. He didn't know how to answer that. And it seemed like wherever he went, someone in the little town is saying, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He began to withdraw. In fact, he would not even go out with the other kids on recess. He he would kind of keep to himself because he so dreaded the question, who's your daddy? One day, a new preacher came to the church in that little town, and he heard from the other kids at school what a great preacher this young man was, and so he thought he would sneak into the back on Sunday morning so he could hear it for himself. And he indeed was captivated by this young preacher, but always he would slip out at the close of the service so he could get away before the service let out and anybody else could ask him that dreaded question, who's your daddy, son? Well, one day he was so captivated by what was going on that he literally forgot to leave early And before he knew it, the crowd was dismissing from the little church, and the preacher had walked down the aisle, and he greeted him, and he said, hello there, son. Hey, tell me. And he put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, who's your daddy? The man telling the story said the little boy's face grew ashen, and it seemed like time stood still, and all the eyes were turned on that little boy. And the preacher, sensing that something was up, said, Now just a minute, just a minute. I know who you are, why I can see the family resemblance. You, you are a son of God. Now go out there and claim your inheritance, son. And he sent him out the door. Now the white-haired man said, Isn't that a great story? The seminary professor says, It certainly is. It's a great story. And then he said, you know, if that preacher hadn't told me that, I'm not sure I would have ever amounted to anything. With that, he got up and left the table and walked away. When the server came by to pour some more coffee, the seminary professor said, wow, we just heard an amazing story from that white-haired man who just left can you tell me who he was? He was there greeting everybody. And she smiles. She says, oh, everybody knows him. He's from around here. His name is Ben Hooper, the former governor of the state of Tennessee. And you see, my friends, what happened is that young boy met for the first time authentic love rather than judgment. And you see, when Christians call us hypocrites, it's often because they think that we're judging them, and so they have no recourse but to judge us back. But when we learn to love with authenticity, not only extending love to those within the body, love extended, but even knowing that when love is offended by those in the community, that we continue to love And we live acting like Jesus would have us to live. It's the way we love that erases all the accusations of hypocrisy. And tonight, maybe as as I've been sharing this, you're thinking to yourself, love has been extended, and I've been offending the love of Jesus. And I'd like to receive it into my life. And he is yours to shape you and to mold you and to make you into a follower of Jesus, one who loves with authenticity.
I want to leave you with a little poem today that will help you to think about how to apply what we've just talked about. It's a poem by Edgar Guest, and it says, I would rather, I'd rather, can we back up one slide? I think we're in part two of the poem. That's the only part you have. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eye's a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example's always clear. I may not understand the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Perhaps today you're thinking about somebody that you're not loving as well as you can because they're pretty tough to love. But there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live and how you love. And then they could say, and may it be said of me, may it be said of you, there goes an authentic follower of Jesus. Let's pray together. We ask that you help us to do that which we cannot do by ourselves, to be authentic, Lord. We ask that your Spirit would empower us with the kind of love that Jesus had. Forgive us when we judge others, and forgive us when we feel so upset when others judge us. Help us to love as Jesus loved, yes, to even lay down our lives for others. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.